So Lawrence, uh, I know you're extremely busy. In fact, you've got a story today of uh, how you've been helping someone even today. And uh, you ran up here to my office out of breath. So I want to ask you about that. But um, before we get started with that, can you tell us about what is a third culture kid and how did you end up in Kelowna? Sure. So um, third culture kid uh, is a is a person who is from one culture. I'm from England originally, uh, born into or living in another culture. I was born and brought up in India and the Middle East uh, and in Cyprus. And uh, wow. But I'm from England originally, so I carry a British passport as well as a Canadian passport now. And uh, I've worked in a bunch of different countries, you know, Middle East, South America, England, China, moved to Canada in 2003. But one of the features of a third culture kid is that you're from one culture officially, you are usually in another culture, but you create a third culture where you identify with people very similarly sort of raised to you, and then you tend to identify and find them whichever place you move to, and you exist in that third space. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and then, of course, you choose or you try very hard to assimilate into your guest culture, yeah. which is why I have a Canadian accent, but I'm not actually from Canada originally. So third culture would be England and Cyprus and Canada. Would that be accurate? Well, so I would say I identify, you know, ethnically or culturally, I identify with being English. But I was born and grew up till my early teens in India. And then I moved to Cyprus in the Middle East. Wow. So I, I have a real identity crisis. So, <laughs> so it, the truth is, I, I'm never quite sure where I'm from. But, um, you know, nowadays I, I have a wife and three kids. So wherever they are, that is home. And right. I've been in Kelowna now since 2003. This is the longest I've lived in any place. And, uh, and it truly feels like it's home. And how did you end up in Kelowna in 2003? Uh, I was working in the UK, in London. I was the director of a, a nonprofit, like an NGO. And I was headhunted by a company based in Canada. And they asked me if I would consider moving to Vancouver, to Richmond. And we were moving from one big city to another. And that seemed okay. Uh, and I ended up working for Apple, uh, the company that makes iPhones and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, and now, uh, at this point, this is 2003, they didn't have iPhones then, it was just computers. But um, they gave me the option to live anywhere nearby. And uh, Kelowna was about the furthest away that I could live and commute to work uh, on the weekdays. And so uh, I chose Kelowna because it seemed like a beautiful place to raise a family. Where were you commuting to? When you worked for Apple, did I did I miss that? Yeah, so I actually commuted from uh, uh, from Kelowna three days a week. I'd go for three days to Vancouver to Richmond, uh-huh. and then we would work in private schools and uh, doing. Uh, uh, my main work was sort of integrating technology into school programs and systems and curriculum, right. and uh, and so then I'd spend Thursday Friday here in Kelowna and have my weekend, and then I'd, and I'd work from home, and then I'd go back to the to Vancouver Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Did you meet your wife here? And did she come with you in 2003, or how did how did that happen? No, funnily enough, I met my wife. My wife is also a third culture kid. So she's Canadian by nationality. She was born in Japan. Her dad was the uh, undersecretary for Canada to Japan. Wow. And um, he was a diplomat. And, uh, and then she actually moved with her family to Bolivia in South America and grew up her entire sort of young life there and went to university in Canada and then she flew out to India to do uh, do some work at an international school, and mm-hmm. that's where I was working. And we met at that international school and yeah. fell in love there in India. in India. Wow. Yeah. 
And was she totally on board with moving to Kelowna? Does she love it as much as you do? Uh, yeah, she was. I mean, we love travel. We love the idea of adventure. And so it was just, we were young. We had just had a baby. You know, yeah. uh, it seemed like a crazy, wonderful thing to do. Uh, and um, yeah, no, so she was definitely on board. And she was curious to see what it would like would be like to actually live in Canada being a Canadian. Yeah. Uh, she had a, a faint notion of what it was like, but she had a passport from Canada. Her family are from Chilliwack. She'd visited plenty of times, but she'd never lived here. Right. She'd gone to university in Nova Scotia, so uh, or New Brunswick, sorry. So it was a totally different experience on the East Coast than it was here. So, yeah, for her, it was yeah a grand adventure and a chance to be closer to some relatives and stuff like that. So your first child was born where? And I'm guessing your second and third child were born here in Kelowna. Right. Yeah, so our eldest daughter was born in London in the U.K., and then our two sons were born here in Kelowna. So they all have dual nationality. They all feel very dual and very sort of, uh, yeah, they transatlantic, if you want to call it, uh, that. And uh, we spend a fair amount of time in England and Europe with family and friends, and then we spend the rest of our time here. But I'm also involved a lot overseas in India. So I do a a bunch of uh, work with a charity there. So Tell us uh, a little bit about your work here and in India. What, What do you do? What is your passion? Well, my passion is people. Uh, and it took a while to discover that. I think I just discovered that I wanted people to, dis- to, to, to really come to terms with their identity, what their purpose in life was, that they were worthy of being loved, uh, and that they were worthy of participating in community and society. And uh, I grew up in a, a very poor part of India at the foothills of the Himalayas, and my parents ran a hospital um, and a network of hospitals, but we were living at one of them. And so I was very comfortable being in a minority, and I never actually understood life when I would be in a majority. I was always in the minority. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a, in a in a place where a lot of the Tibetan uh, immigrant or sort of refugees lived, and so I had a lot of Tibetan friends who were escaping the Chinese occupation of Tibet. I had a lot of Indian friends. So I was this white kid in a village, kind of like Mowgli in the Jungle Book, running around right. the tea gardens without shoes on. Uh, and it's a far cry from today, living in Kelowna. Um, but today, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church uh, called Metro Community in the downtown of our city. And it's, it's probably unlike any other church I've ever been part of. Uh, and that's partly by design. Uh, I think I had a really hard time coming to terms with the church as a structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a deep faith, a deep commitment to follow, uh, to follow Jesus. But I really struggle with the way in which churches became sort of glorified country clubs or these sort of institutions in and of themselves. And and many of them have full of great people. But one of the main pieces of the Bible that teaches, you know, caring for the poor, that's probably one of the predominant messages of the Bible. And yet it's one of those things that gets watered down and pushed to one side in the Christian faith. And I just thought, what would it look like if we actually did that, if we actually cared for people who were vulnerable and excluded? And what if we actually form community where people from all walks of life could interact together on an equal playing field, an equal footing? And, uh, and Metro was formed on that basis. And so today we have a community center that operates throughout the week, which uh, people can drop in and get coffee and care, computers and a safe space. They can engage in arts programs, help you know find jobs, all those sorts of things. Uh, and then on Sundays, we do kind of what regular churches do in that um, we still have services. We have multiple services on a weekend. Hundreds of people show up, but there are people from all walks of life. So you could be as a realtor sitting next to somebody who 
that la- you know last night was engaged in prostitution or somebody who is part of a, a criminal gang or you could be sitting next to the mayor of our city or a lawyer or a doctor or a fire chief or somebody and and it's just the most incredible diverse crowd wonderful so su- sundays i guess with the service you you're um trying to give people spiritual nourishment and teach them something or something uplifting is that basically what happens on if you you attend a service yeah, we actually build everything around community. So we, we have breakfast. So we'll we'll serve breakfast for anyone who comes. So we do like 300 breakfasts on a Sunday morning wow. uh, between our services. So it's not tied to attending. You can come and have breakfast. You don't have to come to the church service. Um, but what's beautiful is that a lot of people stick around and they build friendships and community. There's no expectation to believe anything. You know, a lot of churches say you belong before you believe. Mm-hmm. We go a little bit further than that. We say you belong before you believe. You may never believe, but you always belong. Right. And I think implicitly in that initial statement, some churches will say those things like you belong before you believe. But there's this implicit notion that along the way, if you don't end up believing what we believe, we're just not going to be a safe place for you. Mm -hmm. And we may not ever say that, but you're going to get the hint along the way. Right. And it's a real challenge to say, hey, what if somebody continues to live in an antisocial way or in a destructive way towards themselves obviously if they're doing that towards the community there's some issues about whether they can be safe for others but you know um that's one of the challenges we're we're committed to doing life for the long haul with people who are dysfunctional and difficult and rejected by society because we actually believe that there are some really profound truths about love and acceptance and even God's kingdom that are contained within the interactions that happen between those who have and those who have not. And in many ways, we believe that for, I, I consider myself somebody who has, you know, I have a home, I have a job, I have a car, you know, and, uh, you know, I've been fortunate, but, but those things, there are so many things that people on the street, my friends on the street have taught me about grace and, uh, you know, acceptance and living life without judgment. And, those are things that if I had just walked by them on a street corner, I might never have learned. Right. So a decade later, my life is so much richer because of it. Yeah. My experience with religion has been mixed, and um, I do see a lot of what you say. A lot of churches tend to be kind of a, a social club, uh-huh. you know. And uh, I think I think it's really to be commended what you do. I mean, my understanding of the Bible is there are certain things that we're supposed to do. And that is one of one of the main things, if not the main thing, is to help the poor and help the vulnerable. And um, it's not about judging people or you know telling people, you know, we can help people and, and teach them. Uh, but you're doing what you're supposed to do, which is help people. And it's really up to God to judge people. Ultimately, it's not up to us. And uh, you're doing good work. You're doing what you're supposed to do. So I think that's a great example for, for everybody. Uh, thanks. Yeah. You know, here, here's the funny thing. I really believe this to my core. Um, we can't fix anybody. I've discovered that over a decade. You right. can't fix anybody. What you can do is love people. Right. And, and when they discover that they are loved and that they're worthy of being loved, there is some kind of a dignity that makes its way in that infects a person 
where they want to actually live up to that dignity. You don't have to teach anybody in that sense. They, they have inherently a desire to, to, to contribute to society, to have a job, to do those things. Yeah, there are some people who struggle with mental health issues and they have barriers. But again, they can, a lot of them can overcome those things if they know that they are loved unconditionally and that they belong somewhere. So many people in our city just want, like Cheers, a place where everyone knows their name and where they can come in in any state, any condition, and know that they will not be shunned or or sent away. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are precious few places like that, you know. And so over the years, I mean, my blood boils, you know, frequently with stuff that happens in our city when we introduce bylaws and things like that that criminalize homelessness and poverty. And yet, as a citizen, I recognize the need for our city to be a safe place for everybody. Um, I'm on really good terms with a lot of our council members and our mayor and, and our and our you know leadership in our city because Metro participates in a lot of stuff at a municipal level, and we're involved in the Journey Home Task Force and and we're engaged in a community mapping research project at the moment in partnership with the city to try and map what the faith community has in the way of resources, which has never been done before. So those are the things we love to do. But we actually think that, you know, if we can serve as a safe place where the stranger is the treasured guest, Mm -hmm. where the most vulnerable have a voice that is held at our center and given the the most prominence, the loudest kind of position, that we probably, that's a good place for us to be. That's a good place for us to hold ourselves, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not, you you know, every time we try and... um, break down the lines of the power dynamic between those who have power and those who don't it's a really interesting thing to watch what happens Mm -hmm. and there are so many things that we as middle class people just inherently do and we have no idea that we're doing it like just for example you can walk into starbucks and you will go to the counter and you will pay for your coffee and you'll ask for extra hot caramel macchiato whatever it is (laughs) that you like and you won't think twice about it. If it's not super hot, you'll ask for it to be done again because that's their promise at Starbucks. And you just think, hey, I paid. That's what I should get. And you walk out. And there are about 25 lines of power that you have walked across just completely unwittingly. Members of my community, many of them who are barriered in some way or vulnerable, you know, they won't even open the front door of Starbucks until they've gone through three or four different processes of when was I here last time? Did I embarrass myself? Do I have enough money? Mm. You know, am I going to be safe in here? Am I going to be ridiculed? You know, and so there's all these thought processes. And then, and you can imagine that just gets amplified as they get closer to the counter. And then you've got like 200 choices of coffee. And then you're trying to figure out how many of my coins in my pocket actually pay for this coffee. And then once you've got the coffee and you go and sit down somewhere, you want your back against the wall because you don't want to be you know, jumped in, you know, like you were in the park two days ago and had your stuff stolen or, you know, and, and a lot of it can be attached to mental health or a lack of sleep or all these things. And so along the way, one of the things that we've really worked hard to do is, is try and break down stigmas and normalize people's perceptions about the basic humanity of one another and to say, hey, we're not here to promote a religious agenda we have our beliefs as a community, and there's plenty of people at Metro who don't subscribe to any faith tradition. There's people at Metro who are gender fluid or transgender or gay or, you know, in the, any spe- part of the LGBTQ spectrum, or they've got mental health issues. 
And there's a lot of folks who don't have any of those things that they struggle with. But all that to say is that to find that balance in community is really rare. Yeah. And it's a precious thing. So it's, I often feel like as the leader in that setting that my only role is to uphold the vision or protect the vision mm-hmm. because it's like this beautiful, delicate thing that if you mess with it too much, you break it. Right. You know? Yeah. And so, so I really trust God in that, in that I think throughout Scripture from start to finish, and this is an exclusive, not for your podcast, but this is an exclusive truth in the sense that there is no exception to this rule. In the Bible, from start to finish, God exclusively reveals his character through the least likely, the widow, the orphan, the concubine, the outcast, the foreigner, the stranger, the alien in our midst kind of thing. He doesn't choose the entitled or the powerful or the rich or the, you know, the pharaohs or the kings or the governors. And, And you just kind of look at that and go, if God is eternal and he's not bound by time like we are, why would he even bother changing his pattern of doing things? He wouldn't need to. He's not, you know, it doesn't exist like that. He loves to surprise and do things differently. And that's the way he, that's what we're seeing now. He's doing the same thing. So all of our best ideas, all of the best initiatives that we engage in always come from people who the rest of the world has turned their back on. Yeah. Wow. That's very powerful. Um, So where are you located now? Because I remember the uh, Metro used to be next to the Bank of Montreal, and that got demolished. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you've moved. Where where are you located now? We had a bit of a nomadic journey. Uh, We were sort of homeless for about 18 months when that building was torn down, and now we we are very fortunate. We... um, I think we had 20 different conversations with landlords who basically said, no, thank you. Right. Some nicely, some not so nicely. Uh, and, uh, you know, and that's, again, it's part of the journey. Uh, people knew who come, you know, what our community looks like and the diversity of it. And they're going, yeah, I'm not sure if I want to deal with that. And then, uh, yeah, just a pretty miraculous kind of thing. Somebody actually donated a building to us on the wow. corner of St. Paul and Coronation. And, uh, and that was an incredible gift. And so we've renovated that. Um, and uh, it looks beautiful. It has our drop-in center, our art space. Um, in from the cold, have their offices with us as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're building a courtyard, an enclosed courtyard behind that building. And then in November of last year, um, we were able to purchase the food bank, former food bank building on Ellis, right. which is the adjoining property. Okay. So now we actually have that kind of corridor, like almost like a small campus, Mm-hmm. Um, and we are developing that 10,000-square-foot uh, building into our permanent home because our Sunday gatherings right now are at the French Cultural Center on the corner of Richter and Bernard. Right. So we're going to leave there in a few months, and we're going to move to what was the food bank. Now we just call it Metro. And uh, the front of the building, which is on Ellis, will have a commercial flavor to it, yes. uh, probably some kind of food service, uh, like a diner or a coffee shop that would be open to everybody it's you know and in fact our entire facility will be open to everybody the the warehouse we're hoping that we're going to kind of develop it as a community resource a place where you can have art exhibitions and plays and musical events and stuff like that but during the day it will be a place where we partner with the ymca to come in and do functional training for people who don't feel comfortable going to the gym or uh, where people can come in and hang out and have a coffee uh, get access to community navigators who will help them find housing or you know if they want to get some education or mm-hmm. so there's a whole host of things we're going to be partnering hopefully with 
In From the Cold, the Gospel Mission. Uh, we already partnered with the Food Bank and uh, Okanagan Food Policy Council and a whole bunch of people. So we're, we're very partner-oriented. We're not interested in doing everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really believe in the value of stewarding the resources we have well and then working with others who do it well too. So we don't, we don't want to replicate and waste resources. Right. Wow. So that what you just said raises so many extra questions. Um, so tell us a little bit about your partners. So how, how does it work? I mean, it costs money to uh, run a place and someone donated a building to you, which is amazing. But uh, usually you'd have to pay rent or, or property taxes. Um, the food that you provide for breakfast, these things cost money. So, so tell us a little bit about your partners and how this actually gets done mm-hmm. and it, sure. on a practical level. Yeah, well, that, thanks for asking. Um, because the honest truth is, it is a real community effort. And at the end of the day, I think our partners, many of whom don't share the same faith sort of belief system that we do. Like, for example, we partner with the Sikh Temple and, and doing some stuff, right? right? We believe in interfaith cooperation where uh, we work extensively with about 35 social agencies. Yeah. Um, we're part of PIC, which is Partners in Community Cooperation, which is all the social agencies working together. We're part of PhD, which is Partners for a Healthy Downtown, which is run by the RCMP. We work right. with them and the city. Um, so we're kind of weird that way. We're a bit of an oddball church in that a lot of, I think a lot of churches kind of look at us and go, hey, that's weird. You don't do things the way churches normally do. And then social agencies look at us and go, hey, well, you're not a social agency, so what are you? And uh, so we're a little bit of a hybrid, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first I used to really hate that title. I used to just sort of say, nope, we're a church. That's what we are. This is what a church should be. But you know what? I don't get to decide what a church should be or shouldn't be. We just are who we are. We have our flavor. And I think um, our special sauce really is that we have... We have unashamedly said to people, we want to invite you into the journey. So, for example, today is a great example. Uh, I get a phone call mid-morning that uh, a woman in our community, a single mom with three kids, is being evicted. The judge decided yesterday afternoon that she would be given 24 hours to vacate her house that she's been in for three years. And she has three little kids under the age of 12. So you can imagine now she's panicking all night, packing bags. She calls us at 10 o'clock in the morning, and she's got to be out by 3 this afternoon. She doesn't have a place to go. She has three or four years' worth of furniture and things. Her kids' bedrooms are full. She's got these kids running around feeling traumatized themselves. Now, yes, she probably could have handled things better, asked for help earlier, all those good things, but the reality is she is where she is. And so, you know, now we're scrambling. So I call Big Steel Box. You know, they're a storage container company here in town. Amazing. They bend over backwards. They've got a full day's work of stuff that they got to deliver. They make space in their roster, and they get a truck up there with a container. You know, they do it within 45 minutes. It's an astonishing thing to do. You know, I call, uh, you know, a, a moving company, uh, Pack Rat Movers, and I say, hey, can you guys just send a couple of guys over? Yeah, no problem. They come running over, you know. I call Winmark Reconstruction Restoration Company. Could you spare a couple of people to come over? Then I call some people in our community uh, you know, can you take a couple of hours off work? Can you show? Now there's like 15 people at this place helping this woman unload her furniture, get it out of the house, you know, and then, uh, and you call, and I'm calling the cops and I'm calling the, you know, the, the chief uh, of, you know, of, why, the, of why, police, but why? like I'm calling the, the chief of the downtown or the, the head of the downtown enforcement unit just saying, hey, I know you're probably going to send a unit at some point to this woman's house to see if she's going to be out. I can assure you we're moving her. Can you just give her a bit of grace for the rest of the day? 
if you show up, it's just going to traumatize everything. And to have that kind of relationship to yeah. be able to say, could you exercise some grace here? You know, I've had so many phone calls from the RCMP in the middle of the night where they go, hey, we're at a domestic dispute or we're at so-and-so's house. And they're just saying, hey, if, if you come, if Pastor Laurie comes down here, we, we can probably resolve this without the cops needing to be here. So I love that the RCMP have this community-focused view of saying, right. hey, there's a different way. We don't have to arrest everybody. We don't have to enforce in that same way. We can find a way to bring about a, a healthy solution that's community-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so so there's so many ways in which partnership provides. You know, so we have donors who give parts of the food for breakfasts, and we have people who drop off huge trays of, you know, um, pulled pork for our lunches, or, you know, the food bank donates a ton of stuff to us as well. And, you know, I think just again and again, we're so grateful for this the the culture in this city of partnership. It hasn't always been that way, right. but it's getting better. Well, I, I'm just getting the impression from listening to you that it's the relationships that you built with the community. So if you call the police, for example, and you say, we need a little extra time, they know you're not jerking them around like you're actually dealing with the issue and you've got that mutual respect. So that's that's really awesome. What what can we do as a community? So a lot of this stuff, I volunteered very briefly at the food bank. Um, I attended several uh, PhD partners for healthy downtown meetings when I was working with the chamber a couple of years ago. What can we as individuals do to help you to help the vulnerable and the poor in our community? Uh, tell us like how we get involved with volunteering or donating food or donating money like make it easy for us how do how do we get involved okay so there are some things i can do that make it easy and there's some things that just aren't going to be comfortable um and i think that's okay um here's the easy part uh i think um that that one of the one of the beauties of Kelowna is that we're not so huge that the problems are insurmountable they sometimes seem that way in the media but they actually aren't and we're moving towards a place where i believe that we actually will in our not just in our lifetime, within the next few years, actually see a radical reduction of people who are homeless on our streets because the provision of housing and affordable housing is getting better. Um, I think the journey home process will eventually show fruit. It's going to take some time, but it will. Um, I do think that if you are out there and you're listening and you're a business owner, um, I know that you know that the, the street community can be detrimental or difficult for your business. And so we at Metro, but there are others who do this too, have a number of things that we have done with business owners that help and the Chamber and the Downtown Association and now with the Rutland Uptown Association. Um, We've done a number of things like wine and cheese evenings where we've sort of done some really simple kind of workshops to help business owners interface with people who are vulnerable. How do you actually break through to their humanity and Mm -hmm. help them understand that that they are part of the fabric of, of the community as well and that their behavior, when it's antisocial or destructive, that actually that makes it worse for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think important, the important thing to know is that when you get to know somebody by name, their behavior changes dramatically. Mm-hmm. So very often, I mean, here's a, a classic example, a couple of alleys down the back where Metro's located downtown near Coston and Coronation. Um, somebody was huddled in the in the back of an alley and someone from a local business called the cops and the cops came by 
And I happened to know the officer, and he said, hey, somebody said there's a woman down one of these alleys. And I said, oh, yeah, I know who it is. We, I was just down there. I saw her. And he, the cop said, yeah, I, I was told she was shooting up. I said, no, no, she wasn't at all. She was crying. She was just sitting there, like, crying. And when I told him her name, he knew her right away. Um, but what made the difference was when I walked down that alley and I saw her, and I know her, I see her almost every day, and I won't use her name on, on this, but I, I said her name, and she looked up right away. Now, there's a key difference between going, hey, you. Right. And then her immediate reaction is defensive, and then she'll come out with something. And you, you, you have to remember, she's probably been sleep-deprived for days. She's probably been raped. She's probably been abused. Um, so her, her natural tendency is to be defensive. But when I call her by name and I identify her humanity, right away she knows there's some safety in that. Now, it doesn't always work. But there's certain techniques and things that we can do with business owners that help them kind of break through to that humanity piece. I think the mark of a healthy community is how we treat our most vulnerable members. And so I think we are moving towards a place where there are more resources. So, again, a big, big plug for the food bank. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, their purchasing power means that when you, instead of giving them actual food to distribute, if you give them money, they can triple the purchasing power of your money. So you can go to the supermarket and buy something for 30 bucks. They can take that same 30 bucks and buy three times the amount through the wholesalers exactly. that you can buy at Save On Foods or somewhere. Um, and then some of that food will come to us to distribute. So, you know, I have no problem, you know, bigging them up in a massive way. Um, and I think if you have really great clothing, not tatty, torn right. <laughs> clothing, but if you have good stuff, then we would love to give it away for you, especially if you, I mean, I look in my closet once a year and I go, man, I haven't worn that shirt for two years. Right. Give it away. You're never going to wear it again, you know, right. and, but give that stuff to people who are going to give it away, not sell it, right. you know, and there aren't too many places like that. And so I will put in a plug for Metro and say, Hey, we're one of the few places that actually just give stuff away. We don't charge for anything. Yeah. Um, so we seek donors to support our coffee shop and donors to support, um, you know, our food and our lunches. What we do do is that we really encourage people to engage in community service, not as a uh, quid pro quo, not as a if you do this, you get that, but just to say that we believe there is dignity in serving. Mm -hmm. And when you serve and and then you receive, you feel like you feel like you've earned it and you and you understand the value of work. And so we're actually embarking on this really cool... Am I allowed... Do we have more time? Am yes, I, yes. Okay, yes, you can cut it out if you need to. <laughs> but so so I, I wrote this manifesto on the provision of food and the dignity of food. And I really believe that the welfare system we have sucks. And I say that somewhat trepidatiously, knowing that it's a privilege to have a welfare system. Yes. Many countries don't. But... We also end up with dependency, and we have this cycle of dependency where people are caught, where they they survive, but they don't thrive, and they actually get into a, a cycle where they just can't break out of it, right? And every third Wednesday of the month, we see violence, we see retribution, we see debts being collected, we see people hiding. It's an awful, awful regressive cycle. However, what if we had 25 restaurants in the city, 30 restaurants that participated and said, hey, we will make enough food for three or four extra meals a day. And in return for two hours of community service a day, you get your food club card topped up. And you can show up at one of 25 or 30 restaurants in the city. And like anybody else, you can have the dignity of eating when you want, where you want, and with whom you want. 
But if you are vulnerable and poor in our city, you don't have that luxury right now. And so there is an entitlement that comes because there is an indignity that exists in the way we provide food. And so people line up in a utilitarian space with fluorescent light bulbs and plastic tables. And every night at 4 p.m., they're told, if you want to eat here, you, you have to come here and you get a ladle of food on this plate and you better like it. And then they're offended when people are like, you know what? I don't like it. This is the lowest ebb of my human experience, and I'm pretty upset about it. I'm not saying that that's okay. I'm just saying we facilitate that system. What if we actually, you know, it doesn't cost a restaurant that much. They make three meals worth of excess food a day anyway, far more than that. So, you know, and so, and if they knew that somebody was actually participating in the fabric of society and just wanted a chance to kind of, have the dignity of that experience, I think they would participate. So I started talking to restaurant owners and I talked to a couple of technology companies. And so we're embarking on this as a field project, as like a test project. And I'm super excited. I I would love to see this take off because I think it could just be a real landmark example in our country about how we start to erode stigmas around homelessness yeah. and, and, and poverty. It's so true what you say. I've been close to people that have been in that situation. I was very close myself to being in that situation, and, and, and it is a downward spiral because you feel terrible being in that situation, and it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a website or something, like someone like me, if I was – eager to help, but I'm, you know, busy and I've got my own preoccupations. Um, You've got a ton of different programs, it sounds like, and a lot of great things going on. If someone wanted to help, you know, they're hearing this and they're moved by some of these stories. uh, What's the best way? Like, I don't want you to get bombarded with phone calls, right? Uh, You know, is there a website that talks about the different programs you have uh, or, you know, where people can volunteer, or donate money. Sure. Yeah. So our main website is uh, is metrocommunity.ca. So www.metrocommunity.ca. A lot of our stories and kind of like the vibrancy of what's going on in our community happens on our Facebook page. We have thousands of people on our Facebook page. So that's facebook.com forward slash metrocommunity. Um, and, you know, we have a couple of social initiatives that we and enterprises that we've started And so there's a ton of things that you can get involved in in supporting people who are vulnerable. So, you know, maybe you have a job and you're a business person and you're passionate about finances and you want people to be more financially literate. We have a financial literacy foundation called Launch Kelowna that does match savings programs, uh, financial literacy classes, helps people get a down payment for a business or education or a home. So that's launchkelowna.ca. And... You know, so there's a ton of different things uh, where we have a partnership with UBC and we're developing these things called personal belongings carriers as a viable alternative to shopping carts, which are stolen and aren't people's property. And we're saying, but we don't just want to give people an alternative shopping cart. We want it to be a vehicle to help them get into housing because a lot of the people who use shopping carts, their entire trauma of their day is attached to hiding their stuff, storing their stuff, keeping track of their stuff. What if we took that all away by providing a different means of transporting their and storing their equipment and their belongings so they can focus on getting into housing? Um, so if you're passionate about engineering or a business startup, we could use you to help us in our initiatives department. 
Um, you know, we jokingly refer to it as skunk works, you know, our mm-hmm. Metro skunk works. And, um, and there's plenty of people who want to just volunteer in their lunch hour, help serve some lunch or some coffee behind the coffee bar or at our Wednesday afternoon barbecues. Uh, and then on Sunday mornings, we have plenty of people who say, hey, I'm not a Christian. I don't really want to come to church, but I'll help make pancakes. I'll help serve some food. And it's a great way. And, uh, you know, we have over 40 kids in, in our church, like kids running around everywhere. And so people sort of say, oh, is it safe to bring my kids and my family? I want them to experience that level of diversity. And my answer always is absolutely. We have a place for everybody. And uh, especially as we move into our new facility, we're going to have room for even more and more and more opportunity and needs for people to volunteer and contribute. So, And especially if you have a check that's burning in your pocket (laughs) that you want to donate, um, we would love it because we're partner-focused and we're value-driven. Right. Uh, and, and we're inclusive, and we would love you to uh, partner with us in some way and know that your hard-earned money is making a real material difference. It's not going to cover overheads and massive administrative costs or things like that. It's going directly to help people who are in need, but not in a hand-out kind of a way, right. but in a very strategic, meaningful hand-up kind of a way. Well, super wonderful. Um, there's so much to talk about. I think we could do probably an episode on each little aspect. So we could talk about the food bank for 45 minutes and we could talk about, um, intriguing to me is some of your educational, uh, programs where people are in a, uh, bad spot in their lives, but they're eager to learn and figure out how to solve these problems for themselves. Cause one of the things, you know, about being a father, um, just the, the dignity of being able to take care of your children, right is very meaningful. And uh, I know there's a lot of people in that situation that don't want to be, you know, and uh, would love to educate themselves and find a way to make some of these things better. So there, I think there's um, probably, you know, a dozen aspects of what you're doing that we can talk about for 45 minutes. So I want to get you back on the show again in the future. Uh, You've given us a great overview of, some of the things you're working on. And uh, I want to thank you for your time today and for everything that you're doing in the community. Sure. Uh, Thank you for having me. And if you're in the downtown uh, and you're driving down Ellis uh, and you're close to BNA and you kind of know that area at the end of Ellis there, uh, you'll see Metro's new building that used to be the food bank. And if you take a hard right there, you'll see the courtyard behind and our uh, other center uh, on the corner of Coronation and St. Paul. And we'd love you to drop in and have a coffee and get to know us better. Maybe pop by and see our little art gallery. Uh, Or uh, at the very least, if you see a barbecue going on, pop by and have some food. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Pleasure.